that's part of the thing with all children of immigrants. They're constantly seeking parental approval and wanting parents to be proud of them. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. So then I wonder, going into a little bit about your book, Amy, and, you know, the whole experience of being children of immigrant parents and Mm -hmm. what that all means. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how that came about, the story behind it? And I know there's a unique experience, I think, of Asian children of their parents, right, living in the U.S. And I can relate to some of it, but I'll let you speak to what that's like for you being a child of uh, Chinese parents. Yeah, So the inspiration for me to even embark on the journey of having conversations with my parents, it started because I'm a one-on-one coach. I work a lot with women of color, especially uh, those of Asian descent. And so probably around three, three and a half years ago, I was working with a senior vice president. She's Chinese American around age 55 at the time. And she was doing really well in her career, right? Senior VP. I think that's, that's, you know, super successful, but she came to me because she was trying to figure out, well, what do I want to do next in my life? Because I actually don't like what I do. It doesn't give me meaning and purpose. And so when we started trying to explore that, what she realized is I want to do something creative and I want to start my own business. And as we continued our coaching, she said to me, but I'm going to have to wait until my father passes away. And mind you, her father's 85 at this point, right? And I said, well, what makes you believe that? And she said, because when I became senior vice president, he had told me, great. And the next thing you'll become is president. And she said, I am just afraid. I don't, I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to be criticized by him. I don't want to deal with this. And when we continued our conversations, what she told me is she goes into little girl mode around her father, where she is just so afraid of his disappointment, his disapproval of his criticisms, that she's not willing to have conversations with him about what she really wants to do in life and her dreams. And from her perspective, it's she said, well, he's just never going to understand. So I don't even want to go there. And I started seeing this pattern among a lot of my clients who are children of immigrants, where they feel this pressure because of the expectations their parents have of them or what they believe their parents' expectations are of them. And so I started to wonder, well, what are the stories that I have about my parents? What are the things that I lie to my parents about or that I'm not willing to do because I have these stories? And so, and mind you, at this time, I've done a lot of self-work, a lot of self-healing. So I sat, when I sat down, I was like, oh, for sure, I'm, I'm over all this stuff. Like, I don't have anything that I need to work on. But when I sat down, I, I realized I've got so much still there. I had all these stories in my head, or uh, as I say in my book, I call them myths, right? There are stories that are in my head. Everything from my success will never be good enough for my parents to I'll never be able to repay them for their sacrifices 
to they're disappointed I married a white guy instead of a good Chinese boy. So I had all these stories. And at this point, it was at the height of COVID. We were, my husband and I, we were actually um, stuck in Ghana at the time. And my parents were back in the US. There was a rise in hate crimes against the Asian community. And I just had a lot of fear that if I didn't do this, I would lose the chance to do it. So I called my parents on WhatsApp and said, hey, would you be willing to have conversations with me? And that's how it started. I think you were in corporate before you, did you transition to life coaching too? I think I remember briefly yeah, that conversation. I, so you went through the same journey that this lady was trying to not yes. face while her dad was still alive, right? Yes. Yes. I was 16 years in corporate America. I, I was uh, a consultant at Booz Allen Hamilton. I was a brand manager at Clorox. And then I was at Google for five years. And I had a dream to go travel the world, you know, and to give back and to volunteer. And when I told my parents, they were pretty pissed. Like, why would you leave this prestigious job at Google? Why would you leave everything you've worked for and make nothing to go travel and to volunteer? Plus, you're getting old because at the time I'm, I was in my late 30s, right? And why would you do this? You need to have babies. You're getting old. Like, what are you thinking? And so there was just so much upset and disapproval from my parents. And honestly, one of the things that really was hard for me to deal with was the pressure of my parents did all this for me to give me the American dream to give me the opportunity to work at companies like Google. And then here I'm going to go and quit my job and disappoint my parents and possibly not have kids, you know, um, until I'm really old or maybe I won't be able to, and they're just going to be really upset with me. And so there were, there were definitely same with this lady, a lot of that pressure. Um, and <laughs> I'll be honest, I initially lied to my parents. I told my parents that I got a job overseas and it was a prestigious job that was hard to get. It was a rotation job. So I'd just be there for a year. And that was my plan. I told my, my sisters, this is what I'm going to tell them, you know, make sure you're on board with it. And my middle sister is the one who told on me. She's the one who told my parents, Amy doesn't really have a job. She's just quitting and going overseas. And my mom was livid when she called me. So I, I totally understand what this 55-year-old senior vice president was going through. It was like, well, I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want to deal with that. So I'm just going to wait, right? For me, it was, I'm going to lie about it so that they don't yell at me. But then my sister told on me. So my mom got on the phone and she was livid, just yelling at me. And just couldn't understand, like, why on earth would you do something like that? And so I'm thinking, why would your sister, like, did she think she was helping you stand in your, in your truth? Is that why she said, I'm going to, Amy's never going to tell them the truth, so I'm just going to help? Like, what was going through her mind when she did that? <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know fully, but my guess is... I mean, there's always sibling rivalry and, and, um, 
you know, wanting to get parental approval. And so you tattle on your sibling so that the parents will disapprove of them, which ranks you higher, right? <laughs> and so that is my guess as to why she did it. Because if my parents thought that I had this prestigious, hard to get job at Google overseas, then clearly they're going to put me higher in terms of level of approval, right? And I think that's that's part of the thing with all children of immigrants. They're constantly seeking parental approval and wanting parents to be proud of them. Because at least with Asian immigrant parents, they don't ever tell you, I'm proud of you. And so you're constantly seeking that because you're not getting it. And so that's my guess as to why my sister tattled on me. It's like, okay, I'm going to lower Amy's approval rating and increase my own. Gosh, I feel like I need to sit down with you in a session. It's funny because over the years, that has been the thing that drove me was I wanted to help. I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to make my family proud. And particularly my dad, I'm not quite sure why. And even recently, I've even thought to myself, oh, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with dad about some things. But, you know, the the hierarchy in, in the collectivist culture is just like, you know, the, you have to maintain respect. And yes, mm -hmm. I have high respect for him. But, you know, in order for healthy to come into play. Um, and then at times I think, but who are you and how are they? How is he going to take it? You have to frame it in a certain way. And um, it's not only in your in your, your side type of culture, too. I think it's in a lot of uh, African diaspora culture um, from the continent as well. You'll probably hear it from folks from Latin America. I'm not I can't speak to Europe and how they are in expressing themselves. But I think it is a lot of that in the Caribbean as well. Um, it's a big deal. Like, And sometimes it's hard to even tell if they're actually proud of all the work that you've, you've put in. Even when you feel like you've done so much and sacrificed and been a good child and um, stayed out of trouble the best that you could and, you know, not brought shame to them. You know, shame is a big thing in those co in the in collectivist cultures. Yeah. And yet it still never feels like it's enough. And like, you never really know if you've met the bar. Yeah. Uh, that's serious. That, that's some serious yes. conversation. I, I mean, two thoughts. One is, I think that's what drives so much of the hyper achieving, the not being able to stop, not being able to take care of yourself. I got hospitalized three times and made so many mistakes with my own health and well-being that because of that desire to achieve, because it was like my self-worth was tied to that. I even, uh, one of my friends came to visit me when I was living in New York and we were supposed to get a meal together. And I said, you know what? I've got too much work. Let's just meet up in San Francisco next week since I'm going to be there. He passed away during that week. And it, it was my, one of my biggest regrets. You know, I chose work over seeing him, assuming I would just get to see him again. And I didn't get to. And even that it was like afterwards, I knew I needed to change. It was just so hard to do it because I didn't know any other way of doing things. And so for people growing up 
as children of immigrants, that pressure is so tremendous that it it does a number on how you show up in the world, how you prioritize yourself, your own happiness and well-being. And it's just not good for the overall um, mental well-being of any of us or emotional well-being because we're constantly trying to seek our self-worth from approval of others, right? And part of why I went on this journey of writing this book is because I wanted to know the truth and I wanted to hear from my parents. And so the way the book is framed, it is each chapter is one of the stories that I had of like, you'll never be proud of me or I'll never be able to repay you or being a boy is better than being a girl because my dad telling me that I was supposed to be the boy and constantly reminding me of that when I was a kid did a number on me in terms of, oh, I've got to be more masculine and be the boy he's wanted. Right. And so I had all these stories and, and I, the book, the way it's structured, I tell my side of the story, but then I spent over the last three years, 40 plus hours in conversation with my parents. And I will tell you the first 20, 25 hours, they were hard. Lots of tears, anger, resentment, moments when I wanted to give up. And I am so grateful that I kept going because now on the other end, I know the truth. I've, I have a completely different relationship from my parents. One of the questions I straight up asked my dad was, are you proud of your daughters? And what exactly are you proud of, right? Um, I wouldn't have been able to get there at the beginning. It was through the conversations and near the end, I was able to say that. And he told me that we're proud of you and here's why. And he listed what he was proud of with me and with each of my sisters. And because I recorded it, I was able to share that with both of my sisters, like see our parents are proud of us right? Um, we don't need to be tattletailing on each other to, to raise the bar. They're proud of us. And so that's what I hope for, for other people who, because the book, it tells my story, it tells my parents, but there's also something in there in at the end of each chapter called a date with your parents, where I provide you with tips, with a structure and with questions to ask your own parents, because I think it's really healing. It's healing for ourselves, but it's also very healing for our parents because what my parents shared with me is they feel misunderstood and they feel like I never wanted to or cared to really understand them. And when I went into these conversations with only the intention of listening and understanding them, so I went in without an intention for them to understand me, without an intention to try to change them, I went in just to listen to their history, their stories, their experiences and their side, something in them shifted and something in them healed. Right. And so it wasn't just about me healing our relationship healing, but something shifted for them. And I think many of our parents deserve that too. You know, me as a parent, I hope one day that my son would want to hear my story and want to understand me just the way that, you know, I want to understand him. Right. That is so powerful, Amy. As you can tell, I'm tearing up. And I think a lot of first-gen children, not only, because your sisters probably have dealt with some of this too, but for some reason, you're the one who was the first to kind of um, spearhead 
resolving or getting to a healthier place about it. But I think a lot of first generation children deal with um, a lot of that too. And I wonder the degrees <laughs> um, of it, depending on what group you fall in. Um, but that is so, 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 so serious. Yeah. And I, I think you have, my, you have me in my emotions right now. I'm like, where am I? And, and I think that's beautiful. You know, it's, um, I, I've been studying a lot about intergenerational trauma because I've become fascinated by just, I, I hear all these things about people saying, oh, my toxic parents or my narcissistic mother, and let me just cut off relationships with her and that'll solve everything. But what I continuously see is that no matter what, even when we cut off ties, there's still something deep in us where we're craving and desiring. And there's still this connection. Like our, our genetics come from our parents, right? They're, I was just listening to this podcast or um, something the other day about how when our grandmothers were pregnant with our mothers, our mothers were already carrying the eggs that would become us. So what was happening back then, you know, our grandmother's experiences back then was already impacting your mother in, in her womb and the eggs that she was carrying that will become you. And that's actually how intergenerational trauma happens is it can continuously get passed down. The experiences that your grandparents went through impacts you. And the only way to be able to unpack some of that is to understand their stories, their experiences, right? And unless we are open to trying to do that, it'll still continue to, to get passed down and it'll still live in us, whether we like it or not. And they've done studies on intergenerational trauma where trauma is passed down both biologically and environmentally. Some people think it's only environmental, but it, it does change your genetics. And they've done research on that. So whether you like it or not, you're carrying your family history and you can't just cut it off and say, oh, I'm done with it because it's still living with you. It's so true. So, you know, the, the impetus behind me actually doing this podcast in 2021, my mom passed January 1, 2021. And it was just the clothing of her, that era. I was like, man, I missed that. So many opportunities to ask her questions. And every time I have an interview, I wish I would have her on the other screen to say, mom, tell me what was your experience living in America like? What was it like to lose your dad at such a young age to an accident? She was the oldest and she carried so much, taking care of 11 other siblings, right? Her mom never left the home. Her husband had passed maybe, I want to say maybe 30 plus years before, and she never left her home. She was traumatized. And my mom then became like her right-hand person to help support her caring for the rest of her siblings. Oh, what would I give to have hear her story firsthand? 
And the funny thing is that her funeral was when certain things started coming out from her siblings that I had never heard about. And particularly because I was so busy working and just I was overseas and gone and missed out on so many opportunities to just sit with her. But isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're taught to excel in school, get that good job and, and to excel. That's what we thought would make them proud. But then he takes us away from them. Yep. I'm on a path in my own healing too. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, if you still have your mom's siblings or friends, you cannot still talk to them. There's still an opportunity to learn about her story. It might not be firsthand, but it's still her story, right? Um, and that's what I encourage a lot of people to do is if even if your parents aren't here find ways to learn about their story oh and it's so for those of you who are listening and you have your parents no matter what sort of grievance or shame you feel or whatever might have happened to sever your relationship make it right because once they're gone you can never get that back you have an opportunity and that's why I tell stories that's why I tell immigrant stories because I'm I'm trying to give a perspective to the larger American population about what our journeys are like because a lot of times there's so many stereotypes mm-hmm. of where we're coming from and we have accents and what we look like and so telling these stories give people a window into the reality and humanity of who we are And so if you, as a child, if you're mad at your parents for whatever reason, and they're still here, like, try to make amends, you know, like, however you know how. And it's so powerful to ask them their stories if they're willing, because some parents aren't able to emotionally share because they probably have gone through trauma or other situations they don't want to talk about. But if you can have a conversation like, you know, take it from me, like make amends, try your best to have some sort of understanding, go in as Amy expressed to seek to understand them because, um, oh my gosh, the bonds that we have with our parents, grandparents and our families are are very powerful over our lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll find yourself behaving and doing things that you don't even know where... (laughs) where they're coming from it's funny and now that I'm my mom has passed and I'm kind of I've been on a journey of going uh inward and observing myself and I'm seeing things that I've just never observed before (laughs) it's funny and I'm like who is that person like why did I respond that way where's that coming from and so it really is pushing me to really know myself and know my family and try to look into our roots and why we do things or why we can continue certain traditions or continue certain behaviors (laughs) and so forth, because it helps you understand yourself. And then for you to become a healthier person, if you have children for what you pass on to your children, right. And for the next generation, but, oh, that is so powerful, Amy. I know that experience is real for a lot of children of immigrants. So tell us, tell us, Amy, how do people find you? How do they get in touch if they're seeking coaching, wanting to find your book, connect with you on social, or any other sort of collaboration that they may have in mind? 
Yeah. So I, I do one-on-one coaching. I speak, I actually ran a workshop recently on intergenerational healing and it was so powerful. It was so many tears, but tears of healing. Um, so I speak, I do one-on-one coaching. I run workshops. I facilitate, I train, um, and I have this book out and you can find out about all of that on my website. It's amyyipcoaching.com. So A-M-Y-Y-I-P coaching.com. And people can follow me uh, on LinkedIn, Instagram, or on Facebook. Find Amy Yip Coaching. Okay. Very good. Very good. I think I went looking for you. So it won't be by your name as generally seen on LinkedIn. It would be Amy Yip Coaching is what I think I saw on LinkedIn, right? Is that right? On on LinkedIn, you could go to follow Amy Yip Coaching or you could follow my personal LinkedIn page, which is Amy C. Yip. Oh, okay. You do have a personal page too. I just, mm-hmm. I couldn't find that one. Okay. Very good. Yeah. And I, I, I would encourage everyone, you know, even if your parents aren't willing to share, I tell people, warm your parents up. So don't jump into the most traumatic experience or what's your biggest regret or what are you proud of about me, right? Do something like, hey, what what was your favorite food to eat when you were a kid? How did you like to play when you were a kid? What were your favorite activities, right? Do really, I, I say like light touch, easy questions and warm them up to get to those deeper questions. So even in the structure of the book, I have lighter questions before you delve into those deeper questions because- Many people in general, not just our parents, are not comfortable going into those deep questions right away. And so warm your parents up. It took me a long time to warm my own parents up. And I'm I'm thinking particularly to coming from your cultural background and then collectivist cultures to people who just don't. Shining a light and putting you on the soapbox to talk about yourself and your feelings. Like, you know, I've had to learn to do that as a younger child, but consider them being in their 60s and older. I mean, that's kind of unheard of. Their brain probably doesn't even know how to compute that, right? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, uh, but you know what? After three years, 40 plus hours of conversations, my parents say, I love you now. They're affectionate. They tell me they're proud of me. So they, my dad even said, they need to turn your book into a movie. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so it can happen. Just be patient right? It took me three years. So be patient. It's not going to happen overnight, but start. And and kudos to you. I'm sure it was hard work on your part to remain committed and to come back with a fresh heart and mind each time. I'm sure it got heated and, and hard, but you, you pressed through it because I can't imagine it being easy a, a lot of times trying to work through the reality of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and throughout the book, I say it's not easy, but it can get easier. I mean, even now my mom can trigger me sometimes with things, right? Like, but it can get easier. And so even having a support system, my husband is, was my support. Every time I came crying after a call, you know, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't know what I was thinking. He's the one who said, who would give me a hug and say, you can keep doing this know your why. And that that's something else to remember is know your why. Why are you doing this? 
Why does having a different type of relationship with your parents matter? Why does understanding their life experiences matter? And one big reason for me was also, I didn't want to pass my stuff on to my child. He's half white, half Chinese, and I already know he's going to have his own stuff to deal with. And I don't want him to have to carry my stuff. Wow. That's a big why right yeah. there. Yes. Oh, Amy, this has been powerful. Thank um, you. Thank you so much for being so authentic and frank about, you know, everything in the book. Um so folks, if you're on this journey, go out and seek out Amy's book. Is it on Amazon? Is it uh, Barnes & Noble? Like where can people find it? It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, Books A Million. So every every uh, major online retailer, it's got paperback, hardcover, Kindle version. And I'm currently recording the audiobook, which will be available in early 2024. Very good. Very good. So thank you so much for this time. We'll connect on social. And this has been just a powerful session for me, as you can see. You brought, I don't think I've cried this much in any of my, we have 116 episodes. <laughs> but you can tell this is like a very touchy issue for me because I think I'm, I'm going through it and not necessarily knowing how to approach that to get to the other side of it. But it's it's necessary. And once you lose one parent and you have one available and you want to say, oh boy, you know, you don't want to lose both and not having done that. Because sometimes the emotions don't come up or the realization or awareness doesn't come up until after they're gone. And so it's a blessing that you have one and they're still here. So there is still a window of opportunity to find some sort of, um, have some conversation. Definitely. And, and just, um, you know, like I said, there's still opportunity to also talk to the family members and others who knew a different side of your parents, even if they're not here. Definitely. Yes, that too. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world, and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe, and share with your friends, family, and circle of influence.